Well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the How to Bible Podcast. My name is Levi, and I am the host of this podcast, and thank you so much for tuning in and contributing your feedback to this podcast. Stay tuned as we dive into our next episode. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the How to Bible Podcast. Again, my name is Levi. I am the host of this podcast, and I'm happy to be here and share this message with you today. Um, I want to share a little bit of this because um, I know a lot of us aren't able to attend churches. I live in the state of Arizona. Uh, Arizona isn't quite on lockdown just yet. Uh, I just saw a headline on CNN that said that the governor of California has locked down the state. 40 million Americans are currently being told to stay in their homes to kind of quell the coronavirus and everything that's going on. And and it can be really scary trying to figure out what it is that that God is doing. Um, and there are really uh, two different ways to respond as Christians. We can respond in obedience to God and what He's doing, and then we can respond in doubt to what God is doing, and we can get dragged into this... Uh, this doubt and the the vacuum of concern and chaos and worry and what I'm hoping to do with these podcasts these last couple of ones is really kind of get us into a state of mind where we're not freaking out and maybe this is really for myself too because you know I have two little ones I have a wife uh, I have a full-time job I have all those things that I have to be concerned about as well Um, and I see how things are moving along and progressing out there and it concerns me it does it it worries me it stresses me out but I think that's why scripture talks about us submitting all of our thoughts submitting everything back to Christ putting everything back on Jesus and one thing I've learned in my faith as I've grown uh, as a believer over these last uh, 20 years or so um, is that If I take hold of anything other than Christ and use that thing as my lifeboat or use that as my anchor or try to tie into that thing instead of tying into Jesus, he has a way of systematically taking those things and plucking them out of my life. So if we're one of these people, you or I, and we take our concern uh, and we put our hope in our government or we put our hope in our health or we put our hope in our family or any one of those things, uh, God has a tendency to pluck those things from our lives or put those things into jeopardy in states of, of chaos so that we have to continually go back to Him and invest in Him and take our full root in Him and tie off into Him um, So I think that it's important that as we move into this relationship with Christ, that as we move into this, um, you know, this faith and this belief in Him, that we put all of our hopes, all of our cares, all of our concerns have to be placed solely and squarely on Jesus. And Jesus has to be, um, He has to be the Lord of our life in all facets, not just in our spiritual life, but in our professional life in our personal life, in our habits when the lights are out, in the habits when our lights are on. Uh, He has to be Lord of all of those things. That is what he rightfully deserves. You know, Oprah Winfrey said that one of the verses that tripped her up the most was the one about God being a jealous God. And the reality is, is that God is jealous because 
we are taking our affections, our love and our desire, and we are putting it into other things. We're putting it into our family. We're putting it into the position in our job. We're putting it into our children. That's something I'm always guilty of, of, of almost worshiping my kids because, you know, we love them so much. Um, so God is jealous because that affection that I have belongs solely and unequivocally for him. Like the affections of my wife belong to me and vice versa. And if I give it out to someone else, then she's going to become jealous. And those are, those are just some of the things that I think that we can do as believers now um, that will really help us to remain calm, to embrace that, that spirit of love, power, and sound mind that God has given us and not the one of fear um, and not the one of timidity. Um, we have to be able to root ourselves in Jesus. I, I love this this picture behind me. It's by an artist named Young Sung Kim. And this one uh, is Jesus standing on the water, reaching in, presumably for Peter, as Peter steps out of the boat. Um, and I like that one because Peter was bold enough to step out and say, Lord, if it's you, call to me, um, and I will come to you and walk on the water. And he did. But when Peter got distracted and he looked at everything else going on, and the waves crashing and all the chaos, he began to lose faith and he sank. And when Jesus pulled him out of the water, he said, why did you doubt? Ye of little faith, why did you doubt? And in some ways, that's, that's the way we're responding right now to Jesus and what it is he's doing. Is we have this, we start looking at all these things around us and we begin to doubt what it is that he's doing. And I always like to go back to the Bible and try to find situations and accounts that happened in Scripture that we can glean something from, that we can look at and we can kind of unpack and see how people responded and see how things kind of played out for them. So if you have your Bible, I want you to go ahead and uh, grab it and open it up to Luke chapter 1. I love Luke, uh, written by him. Um, the physician, the great doctor, um, very orderly, very uh, concise. He was very concerned about putting information and facts into his his letter, um, and I, I just I really enjoy reading from him because of those things. Because I am kind of a fact person, uh, I am also very an emotional person. I like to have my heart in something, but having uh, a faith that's based on fact and knowledge and information. Uh, not just solely on on a whim or or hope, um, really plays into my heart. So let's uh, let's pick it up in uh, Luke chapter one. We're going to cover two different individuals here, uh, and I'm going to jump around a little bit. I'll try to make sure I make the the citations and the references. Um, read it for yourself. Don't don't trust me in what I say. Um, Look for yourself, read it for yourself, study it for yourself, be a Berean, uh, and see whether or not what I'm saying is actually true. We're going to go ahead and pick it up in uh, verse 5. The subtitle of this is, An Angel's Promised uh, to uh, the Angel, I'm sorry, An Angel Promises the Birth of John to Zechariah. All right. Verse 5 says, In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abjah, and his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. And that's nice. In the Old Testament, you just had to not do things and do things to be blameless, right? Like you just had to not walk so many steps on the Sabbath or 
you know, avoid things on the Sabbath, and you could you could be blameless, right? Because you were following the law. You could check that box. Um, verse 7, it says, But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were stu- and they were both well along in their years. Verse 8, Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot, so chosen by chance, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So he's, he goes in, everybody's outside, they're praying and then worshiping. He's supposed to go in and, and burn incense and offer prayers on behalf of, of Israel. Uh, verse 10, uh, sorry, we already did that. Let's go to verse 11. It says, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. Keep in mind, there's not supposed to be anybody in there. Um, you, this, this is a, an extremely, extremely holy place. Nobody goes in there but once a year into that holy of holies place next to the throne or next to the, the tabernacle in there, the dark that's in there. Um, once a year you go in there and you go in there fearful uh, of what God is going to do and walking into his presence. These were people who understood what it meant to be in the presence of God. And they got it. They, they would tie a rope around the priest's ankle in case the priest was struck dead in the presence of God. And they could drag his body out. That's how intense this was. Zechariah was gripped, with, gripped and startled with fear. Verse 13, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. You, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John, for he will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is to never take wine or any other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. So all of this is happening. There's no response yet from John. This angel just starts laying this stuff out for him, like, hey, your prayer's been heard, um, you know, you're a priest, you, you, you've studied, you've committed your life to this. It says that he's well along in his, in his years. So when he committed himself to being a priest, he was young. And all his life he's been a priest. He's, he's been around the things of God. He's, he's read the word. He's experienced the holiness of God. He's watched other people do this offering. Uh, no doubt he's asked them, what was it like to go in there into the Holy of Holies? Like, what, what, what did you see? What did you do? How did it feel? Like, he's getting, all his life he's getting this concept of it. He's consuming and binging on the information that that is his job, his occupation as a priest, right? Verse uh, 16, it says, Many of the people of Israel will bring, he will bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go before the Lord in spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Okay, so this is the mission of the child, the mission of John. And then Zechariah speaks up in verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this thing? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. So again, like I was saying, He's a priest. He's trained his entire life for these moments. He knows everything inside and out of God, of the Bible, the Old Testament, of the prophets, of, of all of those things. Like he knows those things. This is what he's trained to do. And when he has an interaction with holy, in an interaction with something so incredibly holy and sacred, the very first thing is he starts to ask for evidence 
and confirming possibly doubt within his own heart that God can actually produce a child from their offspring. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Now, when an angel comes and he speaks on behalf of the Lord, it's not the angel's words, it's the words from God that the messenger is bringing to the people that he's, he's sharing this message with. So, Zechariah is not believing the message or the words from God that this angel is delivering, that Gabriel is delivering to him. He spent his entire life surrounded by holy things, fully trained up as a priest, and yet he still struggled. And some of us, that's that's kind of like what we're doing now with, with this coronavirus. We, we have studied the things of God. We have learned about the things of God. We've read our Bibles. We've been in it our entire lives. Um, but yet when something like this happens, we begin to doubt and ask God, God, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to my family? Instead of trusting what it is that God says when he says he's got a plan for our life, that he's got a design path for our life. And now I know that when we talk about the verse in Jeremiah 29, 11, you know, that, that God has got plans of hope for our life, not to harm us. Some people will be like, well, what about this sickness? I've got a wife in the hospital. I've got a son in the hospital. I'm in the hospital watching this. Sometimes the harm we experience in life is not considered harm by God, but rather it's a way to move us from one point to another. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. If you're a believer, you're called according to God's purpose. It does not mean that you're going to be um, safe from, from harm and safe from tragedy and travesty that does that's not at all what it means it means that you're placed directly in the will of God and he's going to move your life in such a way that it is going to glorify him and magnify him and make much of him and our our job is to take the pieces of what God has given us and put it together in such a way that it makes him look amazing not because he looks less but because that's what he truly is he is amazing we're supposed to take a telescope and look at God, look at something vast and huge and bring it down to the size where we can put it together and share it with others instead of approaching God with a microscope and looking at something so tiny and tiny, making it bigger so that we can make ends meet. It's the other way around. God is so vast and so huge that we have to bring it down to a palatable size and share so Zechariah, again, a man who's trained as a priest. I know I'm saying this again and again. This repetition is important. He's a priest. He's trained in the Word. He's tra- he knows his Bible. He knows his. He knows the 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 words of God. He knows the the words of the prophets. He knows the Ten Commandments. He knows the Torah. All that stuff. He has this interaction with holy holiness, and and doubts and doesn't believe that God is either capable or able to do what it is he said he's going to do. Now, I love that scripture is stacked, these two accounts. This next account we're going to look at right next to it. I want you to go to um, to verse 26 in chapter 1, and we're going to pick it up right there, okay? This is an angel that's promised. Uh, angel promises the birth of Jesus to Mary. And I want you to pay attention to her response in light of Zachariah's response. In the sixth month, God sent an angel 
the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked, since I am a virgin? It's a logical question, right? She's a young girl. She's, she's probably in her teens somewhere. Uh, this angel comes to her and, and gives her this message, and, and she's like, uh, biology, like, I haven't done anything, right? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the, the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who is said to be barren, in her, is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Okay, stop right there. That's uh, going to be verse 37. The angel tells her this message. She asks a simple question like, How is this possible? Um, but it seems like her response is not something of doubt. Rather, it's a logical inclination to how this is going to be playing out, where Zachariah is doubting the contrast of what he's been trained to understand, the trained to believe, trained to know. Uh, he doubts God's ability, where Mary asks a simple question out of, out of simple faith. And here's the response that she gives to the angel. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be done to me, as you have said, and the angel left her. Think about which person is at risk of more damage to themselves. Um, is it Mary? I mean, is she at is she at a greater risk than Zacharias? See, Zacharias in a in a marriage, right? They're supposed to have children. Mary's not. She's in a position of weakness. She's outside of marriage. She's been promised to someone else. This would be a death sentence in, in essence uh, for her life. She's at a greater risk of a, a you know, of being killed or or being ridiculed or ostracized within the community. But her response is one of faith. Let it be done to me as you have said. In essence, saying to the Lord, whatever you want to do, Lord, let your will be done. Sometimes when we approach circumstances like what's going on out here in the world right now, we have to just let God do what he's going to do, and get on board with his plan. I know that sounds really simple. It's a simpleton response, but the reality is, is that Mary was blessed, and she was blessed in such a way because of her simple faith. She believed that God could do anything and was along for the ride. She was ready for it. Where Zachariah, a man tra trained, a, a modern-day pastor, if you would, um, was unable to accept and unable to understand and see that God was able. Now, I don't want to downplay the severity of what's going on because it is extremely severe right now. People are out of work. Families are sick. Things are happening that we, we just can't, we don't want to accept. But the blessings of God come to those of us that are obedient 
to what he's doing. God prefers obedience over sacrifice. It doesn't mean that we need to know the whole picture. It doesn't mean that we have to have the whole concept. But we have to understand, believe, and walk in faith that God is completing his will and that whatever it is that he's doing within our communities, whatever it is that he's doing with this virus, is for the good of all who are called according to the purpose, who are called according to him and for those who love him. It may not seem like it, but I want you to be encouraged. I want you to understand that. That God is doing something right now in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your situation, that is going to bring so much more glory. That's going to bring people to Him. That's going to save people from an eternity of the coronavirus. It's going to usher them into an eternity in heaven with, with Him. To be in heaven with the person you're created for instead of spending eternity separated from him. And the scripture says that we're not supposed to be concerned about the momentary light troubles that are right in front of us, but for us to pursue the ultimate glory that's coming. The reason why the disciples were able to go to death after Jesus reappeared to them was because they kept their eyes on the horizon. They kept their eyes on what was coming ahead of them. Not was right, not what was right in front of them. Not what they had to bear and what they had to endure. They looked ahead to things that were coming. So if you're in a situation this week, if you're in a situation right now with this virus and you're locked down and you're stuck and you feel like God is ignoring you, I want you to know that he hasn't forgotten about your situation. He hasn't forgotten about where you're at. Take your pleas to him. Seek his kingdom first. Seek him and his kingdom. And all the things that are needed for your life will be given to you. But you have to seek him first. Not our own kingdoms. Not our own thrones. Not our own idols. Not our own doubts. But seeking him in faith. And say, let it be done as you have said it's going to be. So for the glory of the Lord and the hope of the nations, stay the course. Wow, what a crazy world we live in. I am so thankful again, ladies and gentlemen, for you tuning in to this podcast, taking time out of your day to listen. I am supremely grateful. If you should have any feedback, you can always reach me at How to Bible podcast at gmail.com. That's how to Bible podcast at gmail.com. Please send me feedback, uh, questions. Uh, you're welcome to send prayer requests, whatever it is that you would like to contribute to this podcast. And I would love to develop those ideas and release them as new podcasts. But until that time, for the glory of the Lord and the hope of the nations, stay the course.